problems here is the assumption that this is like every other vaccine right. we've ever mm -hmm. seen, and it's not. That was Dr. Robert Malone, the inventor of the mRNA vaccine technology. There's a lot of talk going around at the moment about Pfizer's novel delivery method, this mRNA technique, and I thought you'd appreciate hearing from the inventor of that technology. This incredible tech is actually coming from his patents dating back as far as 1989, a long time ago, when he was so far ahead of his time that it is now only 30 years later that the world is turning to mucosal mRNA vaccine delivery techniques. His incredible discovery back then in the late 80s was that it is possible to transfect mRNA packages inside into a cell when it's protected by a little ball of fat, a little liposomal package. And once it gets into the cell, it can force that cell to produce certain proteins all on its own. It's reprogramming that cell to produce that protein. And that, of course, is exactly how our Pfizer vaccines work. What, the, what these vaccines do is they encode spike protein alone so that the immune system will learn to recognize spike protein and will catch it quickly when one is confronted with COVID. But the spike protein itself, we now know, is very dangerous. It's cytotoxic. Is that a fair description? More than fair. And I alerted the FDA about this risk um, months and months and months ago. And their determination was... It's a that, harmless spike protein. That they didn't think that that was sufficient documentation of the risk that spike was biologically active. Right. Okay. They so, did not believe the spike was biologically active. So that was the big mistake. We now know the spike protein is, is very dangerous. Very dangerous. Is biologically we active. also know. So if it was very dangerous, but it did what the brochure on these vaccines says it should do, which is lodge in the membrane of the cells that are doing the transcribing, it would be a lot less destructive. So with our cells now being taught on how to make this spike protein all on their own, I've always been interested to know exactly where in the body these lipid packages go to, where do they coagulate, where do they accumulate the most, and therefore which parts of our body, which cells are the ones cranking out the spike proteins, and whether or not the, the location in the body of those concentrations correlates at all, if, if at all, with some of the adverse uh, events being reported. We have no problems at all with mRNA vaccines. Right. It's just this particular vaccine, because of the spike protein and because it breaks, it cleaves off the cell and it goes throughout your body and your brain, your heart, and anywhere that you can have these symptoms that are so varied, whether it's a 16-year-old who can't talk or see 48 hours after injection, or, or someone who's, you know, handshakes, or someone who's, um, you know, my carpet cleaner, uh, uh, Tim, he's like disabled now. He's lost $30,000 in terms of the, his costs, and he's going in for an epidural because he's in such pain. And so these, and these well, side effects, the, the, the victims of this, of, of this vaccine, they're not being able to tell their story at the press because, you know, Tim says, I, I try to tell my story and the press ignores him. A freedom of information request has been successful in Japan where data from Pfizer has now been released showing this here in this graph that shows the biodistribution of those lipid nanoparticles that the mRNA packets are safely carried in into the cells. Now, this finally answers my question. Where exactly does this mRNA delivery system concentrate in the body? And it seems initially it's in the blood plasma which is quite normal. 
uh, well, expected at least. But then we see long term that accumulation increases in the bone marrow, but especially and and dominantly in the ovaries. They were aware that there was a risk of a spike being biologically active and having adverse events if it did not stay stuck to the cells that were transfected that got the RNA and made it. Okay. And, and they used a genetic engineering method of putting a transmembrane domain on it to ensure that it stayed anchored and stayed put. And there they did limited non-clinical studies to say, looks like it stays stuck. Right. We engineered it to stay stuck. They did. And, and uh, they published that. Here's right. the thing. Special engineered. Okay. Is that um, that's generally not good enough in a non-clinical data package. So before we get a product released to use in humans, in the normal situation where we're not in a rush, we have some really rigorous tests that have to be done in animals. And um, revealing that spike gets cleaved off of expressed cells and becomes free is something that absolutely should have been known and understood well before this ever gotten put into humans. So I'll just leave it at that. I'm a regulatory professional and, and I do talk to the FDA um, and I have good friends there in, in um, senior positions. Um, they were aware back when we were doing randomized clinical trials that um, these adverse events were occurring. Many of them were oddly delayed um, and uh, atypical for uh, a vaccine trial. Um, this is totally new technology. And that kind of gets at the core is, I think one of our problems here is the assumption that this is like every other vaccine right. we've ever yeah. seen. And it's not. Unfortunately, a lot of this information is difficult to come by. Surveilling and detecting adverse events seems to be the sticky situation here around the vaccine rollout. Censorship in particular is, is coming undone. And although it has taken a bit of time and potentially at great expense to humanity, it is extremely difficult to suppress data and, and inquiring minds for very long. And so right now we have these questions being asked by very mainstream people. By implementing censoring, what we're doing is making it so that signals can't be detected. Yeah. People's voices can't be heard. And I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that we have to have free and open discussion and we have to have full disclosure of risks. And when you censor that, you cannot have that. It change, yeah, it changes everybody's mindset into believing it's safe and, and, and effective. And when you have that, you don't report these adverse events as being associated so with that's, it because you, right, you eliminate that's, that's it. You don't want to be the fly in the ointment well, of no, a great you, vaccine. No, you don't think yeah. it's possible, right? right? So when a doctor sees a, a miscarriage, and says, I've never seen a, a baby like this in my entire career where it's so bloody and the brain is split in half and so forth. She's never seen anything like it. And she and and the woman was vaccinated a month ago and she's 25 weeks pregnant. When you have that sort of thing, the doctor says, well, it can't be the vaccine because the vaccine is safe. Well, and so they, they say, well, it must be a genetic defect. And they report it as a genetic defect, and they don't even report it into the virus system. So we never see any of these safety signals because everybody is trained to think that 
it's safe. It couldn't have been yeah. the vaccine. So that's that's this groupthink problem. So and, he, I, and I think we it is a real problem. All of this is to say that those of us who are very pro-vaccination are being forced to reckon with some very uncomfortable truths about this particular moment in our biomedical history. Because if we are to be led by the data, as we should be, we can no longer ignore the data and the evidence that may have sounded fringe a few months ago, but now is being explored and publicly backed by the most mainstream and most credible of experts and scientists in this field. So if you look at the discussion that's happening right now, it seems that those with an inquiring mind may be wanting to investigate a little bit more and look at the data and make some cost-benefit calculations and some rational, rational risk-reward trade-offs. That would be normal. However, that's not what we're hearing in the mainstream, and that's not what we're hearing in everyday conversations in the parks and the shops that at least I attend here in, here in Australia. The, uh, the mainstream narrative seems to be more along the lines of that Channel 9 ad, which I'm going to show you right now. This seems to be how we are to think about vaccinations. Nothing more than this is our big shot. Go and get it. Go and get it. Go and get it. And life will go back to normal. COVID has affected each and every one of us. But now we have a shot to get our lives back to normal. This is our shot to protect our communities. This is our shot to keep our borders open. Our shot to explore the world again. To welcome friends back to our shores. Our shot to keep live music alive. Our shot to keep families safe. Our shot to keep the crowds coming. Our shot to keep businesses open. And people in jobs. Our shot to reunite families. This is our shot to help save lives. And to bring Australians home. Our shot to get everyone together for Christmas. This is our shot. This is our shot. Our shot. This is our shot. This is our shot. I've had my shot. This is my shot. This is my shot. This is my shot. Come on, Australia. Let's get the job done. Start a conversation with your doctor about your shot. But for those of us who are interested in going deeper, of course, we have excellent podcasts like the Dark Horse podcast. So the excerpts that I've been showing you today have come from evolutionary biologist Brett Weinstein, who is putting his head above the parapet and is likely to be shot down. They say there is no point in being a pioneer. You only end up with an ass full of arrows. And that certainly is the case with Brett Weinstein. Check out the full interview, if you like, he did with the inventor of the mRNA vaccine technology, Robert Malone, and with another gentleman in there who's released a huge article on some of the things he's discovered. These guys are, uh, they've done a three-hour discussion on this. It's called Three Ways to Save Humanity or Three Ways to S Simple Ways to Save the World. I'll put the link in the description below if you'd like to go deeper than simply listening to a Channel 9 ad. What if what he's saying is, 50% right, right? It's still so alarming that effectively the response would have to be the same. Something has gone wrong, we are in danger, and we are not we are not behaving rationally. If the data is anything like what you present, then the interpretation is quite clear and absolutely startling. So uh, I will just say, I believe that what you've, what you've pointed to is accurate and uh, alarming is an understatement. I would invite people to look at it for themselves. I would invite people to show it to others. And most importantly, I would invite them to pay very close attention to what is said in response. 
You'll get a lot of pushback when you show this article to people, but that pushback is not substantive in my experience. It's, it's emotional. 